Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. If you'll please stand with us. Oh, 
today. It's sponsored by Purell, your trusted name in hand sanitizers. Um, I think I counted five or six people that came down with the flu in the last four or five days in our church, and so uh, so, so everybody stay healthy today. Uh, love each other from a distance today, please. Uh, fist bumps, elbow bumps, all those are perfectly appropriate, and everybody loves a good pat on the back. So um, uh, in all seriousness, we are glad that you're here and, uh, and that you are upright. If you've had the flu this week, we're thankful, especially that you are upright. We would ask that you please keep your coughs to yourself. Uh, if you're a guest today, know that we're delighted that you're worshiping with us. Uh, we, uh, we normally don't pick on each other for getting sick, but, uh, but uh, today's a special occasion. Uh, so we're glad you're here. We want to welcome you, ask you to fill out the side of the bulletin, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself so we can uh, uh, tell you more about who we are as a church family. We'd love to get to know you a little bit better. Right now, we're going to take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize, go say good morning, and we'll continue to worship together here in just a couple of moments. <clears throat> Stronger, the King of Glory, the King above all kings. 
you've done for me.
bless all these tithes and offerings and uh, please help anyone who is sick this season for them all to get healed and for everybody to have a great rest of the week in your name amen
Oh 
Sorry. Uh, knock you over, huh? It's like when I was learning how to ski and it wasn't real good and all these little kids zooming by me. Like, if we fall, guess who's going to win? I would crush you. Okay. All right. Anyway. Hey, um, so next week we've got a pretty special Sunday planned. We're going to meet here for a little while. Then we're going to go over somewhere else that has a nice indoor swimming pool and baptize people okay it's going to be it's going to be a really exciting service and i just got to thinking um what is baptism now thankfully i got a pretty good idea of what that is but i, I found a video that, uh, that that talks a little bit about baptism and i don't i don't know if it's going to be on that screen back there so I, it may be but it'll be on these screens up here and i have to apologize i sprung this on the av folks right the last minute i know i do that sometimes and i hate when people do that but we got good folks back there so we're going to see if this video will work it talks a little bit about baptism okay so can everybody see the screen all right let's watch this video I'm Jeff, and I heard that you want to get baptized. That is so exciting. For a long time, people just like you have been getting dunked down into water to show the people around them that they believe in Jesus and want to follow him for the rest of their lives. What a great decision. Now, I'm sure you have a few questions about being baptized, and that's why I'm here. Question number one, what does it mean to believe in Jesus? It's a great question, and I brought my artist friend Dan here to help us out. Let's start at the beginning. Before there was anything, there was God. And God is big. He's huge. He's so big, he made the world and the universe. Then God made people. All the people who've ever lived. That includes you. He made people because he wanted to be friends with them. God loved all the people of the world and knew they needed help living their lives right. So he told them the things they should do and shouldn't do. He did this so they wouldn't hurt themselves or the people around them. Like he said, don't be mean, because it hurts people's feelings. Don't lie, because people will stop believing you. Listen to your parents, because they know what's best for you. Don't be selfish, because God has given all of us enough to take care of everyone. When we don't obey God, when we don't live the way he's told us to live, that's called sin. And all of us, every one of us, has sinned. And when we've sinned, it's kind of like we get dirty. Like when we tell a lie, or when we're mean to someone, or when we disobeyed our parents, or acted selfishly and we can't get rid of our sin, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much good we do even. And sin keeps us from having a friendship with God. Because God is totally clean. He's perfect. He's never done anything wrong. The word for that is holy. God is holy. So what could people do? We're too covered in sin to be friends with God, but God really wanted to be friends with people. God had a plan though a plan to rescue us from our sin, to take away all of our dirtiness. He sent his son to the earth in the form of a man. God's son's name was Jesus. Jesus walked around telling people how much God loves them and wants to be friends with them. 
He told people how to be kind to each other and how to follow God better. And while Jesus was alive, he lived perfectly. He never did anything wrong. He never sinned. He was never selfish, never hurt people, and never lied. He did everything God wanted him to do. That meant that Jesus was a man who was never dirty. He was always clean. Jesus was holy. A bunch of people didn't like Jesus, though. They didn't like that he said he was God's son, and they really didn't like that he was perfect. And so, one day, they took Jesus and nailed him to a cross and killed him. Jesus, the only perfect person who ever lived, died on the cross. But this was God's plan, and God was not done. He brought Jesus back from the dead. Jesus was alive again. Jesus told people that God loved everyone so much that he sent his son to die for them. And if people would believe that Jesus came and died to take all of their dirt away, all of their sins away, then they could be friends with God forever and forever. So believing in Jesus means you believe that Jesus came and he died on the cross so that all of your sins, everything you've ever done wrong and everything you ever will do wrong is totally washed away. And that means that you can be friends with and live with God and Jesus forever. And that's what it means to believe in Jesus. Question number two, why do people get baptized? That's another great question. One reason is because God told us to. In the Bible, it says that if we believe in Jesus, one great way to show it to people, to our friends, to family, to even strangers, is to get baptized. It's something we can do to show what we believe. It's basically a symbol. For example... So listen, um, he didn't talk a lot about baptism, but he talked about the reason that we get baptized. And then, and then he's, he, you know, he, he talked about the gospel and what Jesus has done for us. But listen, I want to I want to just share this real quick, okay? As we as we finish up, he said that one reason that we do that is because we want to obey and follow Jesus. And Jesus was baptized, and he said we ought to be baptized as well. And then he said something. I don't know if you caught it right before it was cut off. He said it's also a symbol. It's a symbol, okay? It's a symbol, and he, he used the illustration, and I like it. Look right here. You see what's on my you see what's on my hand. You see what's on my finger right there. What is that? My wedding ring. That's right. It's not just any ring. It's a wedding ring. Now, does just putting this ring on mean that I'm married? Yeah. If I just, well, if you put it on, does that mean you're married? No. You, do you want to put it on? No. You do? Does that mean you're married? No, you're not married. So just like being baptized doesn't mean, that, or being baptized doesn't make you a Christian. There's something, that, there's something else that takes place. But this ring shows other people that I'm married. And it lets people know that, and it's a reminder to me that I'm married, in case I ever forgot, I guess. But, but anyway, it's a, it's a symbol to everyone that we're married, okay? And so, <laughs> all right, so baptism is like that. Other people celebrate with you when you get baptized, and we're going to do that next week. We're going to baptize some folks, and so... I don't know where you are. I don't know if you've ever been baptized, or maybe you want to talk about being baptized or talk about what it means to be a Christian, but I hope that you will think about that for a long, long time and, and just talk to somebody. Ask your parents. Ask your Sunday school teacher. Ask, ask one of the pastors, okay? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the symbol of baptism. I want to thank you for what it means for us in our life. Um, Lord, it's not, it's not salvation, but it is an outward expression of something that's changed on the inside. Just like this ring is an expression of, of my love and, and, and commitment that I made to my wife, Lord, uh, baptism shows that, that commitment to the rest of the church. 
Um, so, Father, help us. Help us to learn and understand. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's stand once again. God, our Father, we adore Thee. We, Thy children, bless Thy name. Chosen in the Christ before Thee, we are holy without blame. We adore Thee, we adore Thee. Abba's praises we proclaim. We adore Thee, we adore Thee. Abba's praises we proclaim. Son eternal, we adore Thee. Lamb upon the throne on high. Lamb of God, we bow before Thee. Thou hast brought Thy people nigh. We adore Thee, we adore Thee. Son of God, who came to die, we adore thee, we adore thee, Son of God, who came to die. Holy Spirit, we adore thee, paraclete and heavenly guest, sent from God and from the Savior, thou hast led us to rest. We adore thee, we adore thee, by thy grace forever blessed. We adore thee, we adore thee, by thy grace forever blessed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, we give thee praise. For the riches we inherit, heart and voice to thee we raise. We adore thee, we adore thee, thee we bless through endless days. We adore thee, we adore thee, thee we bless through endless days. I feel like I should say I love my wife. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoy being married to her as well. <laughs> if you got your Bible, let's talk about better things. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 1. I'll stand by that claim. I will. I'll stand by that one. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 9. <clears throat> then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. And the Lord said to me, You've seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. 
against all its walls and all around and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything I've commanded you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its instruction. Thank you for the prophet Jeremiah, for the call upon his life. May we uh, understand it today and appropriately apply it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Be seated. <clears throat> you know, one of the biggest challenges when someone visits a foreign country or a different culture is learning some of the, I guess, some of the colloquialism, some of the idiosyncrasies of that particular culture. For instance, the, uh, the OK symbol. You've ever flashed that symbol before? You know, how's everything going? Everything's okay. You know, that's an appropriate symbol today. How you feeling? Are you over the flu? I'm okay. Don't shake hands, just I'm okay. In certain parts of the world, that uh, symbol has a variety of offensive meanings. And so, uh, so you're best off in certain parts of the world to not use this, this, uh, this symbol. Uh, I probably wouldn't send it as an emoji either to friends from, from different countries. Uh, if you're a, a Texas Longhorn fan, which I only know one, uh, and, uh, you know, the, the hook'em horn symbol, or if you've ever been to a rock concert and, and you just felt compelled to throw the, the Satan horns up for whatever reason, uh, that actually has some other meanings as well. Uh, so I'm sure other countries look at Texas fans and wonder what in the world those people are thinking, uh, because in other parts of the world, Europe, South America, it's a way of calling a woman a not-so-nice name. So again, uh, probably best to not use this symbol outside of, uh, outside of the Texas area there. And if you have a Russian girlfriend, or if you had a Russian girlfriend, <laughs> if you sent your Russian girlfriend a dozen roses for Valentine's Day, you would no longer have a Russian girlfriend. Because you're only supposed to give flowers in odd numbers in Russia. As a matter of fact, if you send an even number of flowers, that's actually what you send to a funeral. And so if you want to send flowers to a loved one, you send an odd number of flowers. So go ahead and splurge. Get the baker's dozen, gentlemen, uh, for your Russian girlfriend. Hopefully you don't have any of those. Um, so it's always good to do a little research before you travel to make sure you don't do anything inadvertently to offend, or if you really just want to go and offend, make sure you know the proper symbols to use to create the greatest level of offense. When we read our Bibles, we also find that there are certain cultural quirks that exist in the Scriptures, things that, that we sometimes miss. For instance, if you were gentlemen looking for some sweet nothings to whisper to your beloved on Valentine's Day that's just around the corner, probably some of the phrases from the Song of Solomon would not translate well today. If you use the term goats in re reference to anything about your wife, I can promise you that that won't earn you many brownie points for her for Valentine's Day. Uh, certain quotes from the Song of Solomon don't belong in your Valentine's card for your bride. There are certain things in the Scripture where we find that maybe they don't translate altogether 
well. We don't understand things exactly as they are intended. That's why it's important, folks, to have a good study Bible so that when you're reading through the Scripture, you can learn about some of these these oddities that show up, some of these nuances. For instance, in Jeremiah chapter 1, we run across one of these little quirks. If you don't catch it, it's easy to miss it. And it really explains why we sometimes have a difficult time understanding what the passage is saying. But when we understand that little bit of a quirk, little bit of a cultural idiom, we actually can unlock a a tremendous uh, understanding of what God is saying here to the prophet Jeremiah. Last week we started our study through the book of Jeremiah by looking briefly at some of the aspects of his calling. We considered the precious promise that God had Jeremiah tagged as a prophet even before he was knit together in his mother's womb. Before I formed you, I knew you. Before, before you were conceived, you were set apart as a prophet. And so God had, God had already looked at Jeremiah and set Jeremiah apart. And, and how that works is a mystery to me. But what I do take delight in is in knowing that that, that baby inside his mother's womb is known by God. And, and we live in a world today where, where that is not seen as a baby like it needs to be, where it is seen as a, as a lump of flesh, as something that's expendable, as something that's disposable. But the Word of God here is clear that, that that growing inside of its mother is known and loved by God and should be known and loved by us as well. We also consider the fact that God overcame some of the obstacles of Jeremiah's calling. Jeremiah was concerned. He was only a teenager. He said, I'm only a youth. And the Lord says, don't say I'm only a youth. Don't, don't worry about that, because God then comes alongside of Jeremiah and, and, and takes that obstacle of youth and experience away with the guarantee of inspiration. He tells Jeremiah, I will give you the words that you need. I will, I will give you the words that you need to speak. And then he gives him the promise of presence. He says, I will be with you to deliver you. And so for a young man who doesn't know what to say and who's very much afraid, here is the promise of God that I will be with you to give you words, and I will be with you to deliver you. You've got nothing to be afraid of. You've got nothing to worry about. Unfortunately, when we look at Jeremiah's ministry, we didn't see a lot of positive results. He was a prophet for 40 years, and we don't see any converts. We don't see Jeremiah um, having a a church that forms out of his preaching. We don't really see any Jonah-esque scenarios. And what do I mean by Jonah? Remember what happened to Jonah? He goes to Nineveh and he starts his sermon. He doesn't even get through the third point. And before he has time to sing just as I am and have an invitation, the whole city has converted and, and put on sackcloth and ashes and they're in repentance. And we don't see that with Jeremiah. The, the people don't really respond to Jeremiah's preaching. Instead, even in the call that Jeremiah receives, we get the sense that Jeremiah's ministry may have a gloom and doom dynamic to it. Listen to what God says. He says, See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up, to break down, to destroy, to overthrow, and then to build and to plant. You know, there's times when you read through the book of Jeremiah that the old hee-haw song comes to mind. Woe, despair, and agony on me. This is the prophet Jeremiah. And in spite of the misery of the prophet's ministry, the Lord's presence, the Lord's guidance, is absolutely real to him. And here, early in his calling, Jeremiah is given the blessing of a couple of visions. 
Not just a word from the Lord, not just a voice that Jeremiah hears. Instead, God grants Jeremiah some visible things that he can see, some visions that he can hold on to, and things that are recorded for our benefit as well. This morning, I want us to consider the nature of these visions that we can really grasp what's happening here. The first vision that Jeremiah sees is the vision of an almond branch. And what's interesting here is this is where that little bit of a, of a, of a Hebrew colloquialism shows up. And, and it's easy to miss because we don't speak Hebrew. What does Jeremiah do? Well, God says, what do you see, Jeremiah? I love the fact that God gives Jeremiah the opportunity to explain what he's looking at. God just doesn't say, here, I'm going to show you an olive or an, uh, an almond branch, and then we're going to talk about it. He actually gives a vision. He says to Jeremiah, tell me what you see. And Jeremiah says, well, Lord, I see, a, see an almond branch. And the Lord affirms that, says, you're exactly right. You know, your, you know your almond branches. I'll be honest, if the Lord showed me an almond branch today, he'd say, what do you see, Pastor Brian? I'll say, I'm not sure what that is, Lord. I don't know what an almond branch looks like. I hope that that's what's on the cover of the bulletin. Uh, I Googled it, and that's what showed up. And so though we know Google doesn't know who Jesus is, hopefully Google knows what an almond branch is. So we're just going to trust that's what that is. Well, Jeremiah sees an almond branch, and then God says, very good, you see an almond branch, and I promise to watch over my word. Well, what, how does that, can, how does that, what does that have anything to do with that? Well, this is what's interesting. That's an almond branch, and you don't have to pronounce it. You don't have to be able to pronounce it, but the word on top is the Hebrew word for almond, and the word on bottom is the Hebrew word for watch. If you're just reading through the Hebrew scriptures and you run across these two words, guess what you think? That's the same word. That's the same word. The only difference are the, the little dots and, and jots and tittles that are above those main, those main uh, letters because that's where, the, that's where the pronunciation comes from. And so if you were to pronounce these words, they even sound alike. And so what happens in this vision is that God gives Jeremiah a very real picture of what God is actually doing. The word sounds alike, the word looks alike, and so when you see the word almond in the scriptures, that word looks an awful lot and sounds almost identical to the word for watch. As a matter of fact, if you were reading this in the original, the only way you would know the difference is the context of what you see. So an almond would be in the context of things like branches and trees, and the word watching is, a, is, a, is more of a verb form. And so you have to have the context to understand what's happening here. And so God tells Jeremiah that he is going to watch over his word. It's a play on word, words, but it's a very important play on words. This vision reminds us of something very important. It reminds us of just how careful God is with his word. Just how careful God is with his word. He says to Jeremiah, I promise that I am going to watch over my word to see that it accomplishes that which it's intended. The prophet Isaiah picked up on something similar. The Lord said in Isaiah 55, verses 10 through 11, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and they do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. God promises that he's going to watch 
over His Word. God takes His Word incredibly seriously. And God doesn't throw out useless words. God doesn't waste words. The words that God speaks, He is watching over to ensure that they accomplish the purpose for which they're intended. In the Old Testament prophets, we clearly see this at work. You guys, excuse me for just a second. In these Old Testament prophets, we clearly see this at work. Sometimes these words that are spoken are words of warning. And we see that. You can read through Jeremiah, Isaiah, the minor prophets, and you can see that God is using words of warning. And those words of warning are intended to bring out repentance before it's too late. When God sends Jonah to Nineveh, those are words of warning that he is to take to the people of Nineveh. And they respond to it. Now, they didn't have to. They could have said, buzz off, Jonah. We're going to continue to be the evil, wicked Ninevites that we want to be. But instead, they actually heed the word of warning and God relents judgment against the Ninevites. We sometimes see words are given once it's too late and once judgment's at the door. Jeremiah, many of the words that Jeremiah speaks are words of judgment that honestly are, are, get ready folks, they're at the door. Judgment is coming. Judgment is here. You've you've sinned. You've gone too far. You refuse to repent. And now God is sending judgment to the door. And sometimes words are given to the prophets in order to restore hope and encourage a remnant of the faithful. We look at the Old Testament prophets and the and the, the, the forward-looking promises towards the Messiah. And we recognize that those words are intended to, to give hope to a hopeless people, that there is, there is coming a Redeemer. There is coming one who is going to heal the nation by His stripes. There is one coming who's going to be born in Bethlehem. There is one coming who's going to be born of a virgin. There is one coming that we look forward to. And those words given to the prophets that look forward to this this time provide hope and encouragement to the faithful. But whatever word is given by these prophets from the Lord, these are the words of God. These are thus saith the Lord moments. And whether these prophecies point to judgment or the promise of redemption through a future Messiah, these words are true words. Sometimes I find that we as Christians sometimes brush through the prophets. We don't give the prophets the attention that they deserve because it's hard reading. It's poetry. You know, it's hard to read poetry. It's hard to, to apply all this. It's hard to, to take the doom and gloom of the nations and, and apply it to us today. But the reality is, is the words given to these prophets, I take God seriously here. I'm going to watch over my word. And if God gives that level of attention, that level of seriousness to his word, then so also should we. At the same time, though, we look at these words and and, and they contain the tremendous amount of specificity. You know, these prophecies aren't like the, the, the fortune tellers at the fair. You know, those folks are, are kind of a hoax anyway. You know, a fortune teller might say, you know, I sense that you're, uh, you've got a big decision coming in the future. Well, of course you do. Everybody's got a big decision coming sometime in the future. I, I, sense, that, uh, I sense that maybe there's some unrest in your job. Well, of course there is. Show me somebody whose job doesn't have some level of unrest in it. I mean, it's just, it's just hocus-pocus. It's word games. It's, it's, playing, it's playing around. But when we look at the word of God given to the prophets, they're specific. They're specific. They, they get on to the point of even naming future persons, people that don't yet exist. Did you know that King Cyrus 
of Persia is named 150 years before he exists by name in the prophets. That's how specific God gets with his word, watching over it to ensure that it accomplishes what it's intended to. Jeremiah even gets in on the messianic prophecies. He points to a day when there would be a new covenant inaugurated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does Jesus do when he shares the Lord's Supper? Behold, a new covenant ushered in by his blood. That's how specific God is with these words. I'll be the first to admit, I am absolutely amazed with the precision with which the Lord brings about the fulfillment of his word. I'm absolutely amazed with the precision. We cut him some slack if he was close, right? I mean, shooting 200, 300, 400 years into the future? I mean, if he's just close, we're good. But he speaks with remarkable and consistent precision in bringing about the results that he seeks to bring about. And when I look at this, man, this reinforces my faith. This reinforces my faith that all those things that have yet to come to fruition are a rock-solid guarantee because the Lord has proven himself faithful through his word since he's been given us his word. And so when I look at the things that have yet to come, it's just a matter of time. Hey, Jesus is coming back one day. How do I know? Because God's done everything else he said he was going to do. He's kept his word about everything else. Why in the world would something change in that regard? That's a rock-solid guarantee. I believe Jesus' return is going to be just as visible the second time around as it was the first time around. When Jesus came the first time around, guess what? You could go to Bethlehem. You could go see him there as a baby when he was born. There were shepherds who were eyewitnesses to it. The wise men came from, came from Babylon. They came and saw Jesus as a toddler. They laid eyes on him. There were countless witnesses who saw Jesus, who interacted with Jesus. There were people who saw Jesus rise from the dead, the same people who saw him die, saw him alive three days later. That's real, folks. That is real and tangible and knowable truth. And it was all stuff that God had said ahead of time that he was going to do. And so when the Bible says that there is coming a day that my Lord is going to return, you better believe it. You better believe it. Why? Well, it's because the testimony of the almond branch. The Lord is watching over his word. He takes it seriously. I believe these things because God has proven himself faithful again and again and again and again and again. He has proven himself trustworthy and reliable and dependable. And he has proven to us over and over again that there's not a, an empty word in his mouth. I believe there's going to be a resurrection of the dead. Just like we sang in the song, why do I believe there'll be a resurrection of the dead? Because Jesus rose from the dead. And Jesus promised that to all of us. Why would he promise something that he's not going to keep? He never did it before. Why would he start, start when he was alive and, and walk in the earth? God said it, and he's already proven the dead can be raised by the resurrection of Jesus. I believe in a future glory for the saints. You believe that there's glory waiting for those who are in Christ? Why? Because Jesus is already glorified in heaven. And it's waiting for us. It's ready for us. God has proven himself time and again to be faithful to his word. And he's declared to the prophet Jeremiah, 
I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, most of us will say in this room, amen, to this promise from God. But I wonder how many of us are actually living like we actually believe it. How many of us are living like we believe that God is watching over his word to accomplish it, to perform it? How many of us are living our lives like we believe in a soon-coming Savior? How many of us live, wake up in the morning, is today the day? Could it be today? And live our lives in accordance to that. How many of us live our lives recognizing that our lives really do matter in the kingdom of God? You're not just a, you're not just a number. You're a, you're a person with a task and a calling in God's kingdom. If, God, if we believe what God is saying here, then our lives matter today and should be lived like they do. But the other thing I think here is, is God is so careful with his word. How careless are we with our words? Think about that for just a second. How unlike God are we in this, in this sense? God is so careful with his words, and I am so careless with mine. And I have a hunch I'm probably not the only person in the room here who has a problem with his words not being treated with the significance that they deserve. Does anybody else have a problem with words being used that don't matter? Tossing those empty words out there from time to time. And there's a lot of empty words out there. We spend a lot of time on them. Children on the playground are taught to chant, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. I'll tell you this, that's a lie straight from the devil's tongue. We know how painful our words can be. James said that the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Well, that doesn't sound like something harmless to me. You know, if a, if a big old snake were to crawl in the back door there, some of y'all are scooting over, right? It's not that kind of church, y'all relax. You'd look at that snake and say, that is, a, that is full of deadly poison. And how would you treat something that was full of deadly poison? Hopefully you'd not be armed and start shooting. We discourage that, especially in the church. <clears throat> Some of you might be brave and try to get rid of it, and we would all marvel at your faith. But you know what happened if there was a big old snake that crawled in the back door that was full of deadly poison? This place would be as empty this place would be as empty as Chick-fil-A on Sunday morning. That's what would happen. Because it's something that's dangerous. We recognize that it's dangerous. And the Bible talks about the tongue being something that is a restless evil full of deadly poison. It is a dangerous thing. Our words can be used to encourage, to build people up, to bring about peace in the midst of conflict. Our words can be used to express regret or to extend forgiveness. Our words can be used to bring hope to hopelessness. Our words can be used to bring life to death when the gospel's shared. Or our words can be used to tear all that apart. Our words can be used to rip it all to shreds. You see, how unlike God are we? God says, I am watching over my word. I am careful with my word. I am, I am serious about my word. And how many of us are so not, are so not careful with our words, are so not serious with our words. What if we were to treat our words 
with the same significance with which God treats his word? What if we were to treat our speech with the same level of care and precision? What if we were to watch over our words wherever they manifest themselves? James said the tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I suspect he would agree that the keyboard is a deadly poison full of restless, or a deadly evil full of restless poison. Yeah, you got it. <clears throat> what if we were to watch our words when they're typed into comment boxes on the internet? What if we were to watch our words when they were used in the heat of an argument with our loved ones? What if we were to watch over our words in the church when dealing with one another in seeking consensus, in caring for and loving one another? You know, that's not to say there's never a place for hard words. The Bible is full of hard words from God. The next vision that Jeremiah receives is a hard word from God. But even when we are forced into using hard words, we should be careful that we use those words with a great degree of caution and care. We know that there are many things about the Lord that are beyond us. But when God says he watches over his words, we can at least recognize the need to go and do likewise, to watch over our words, to guard our tongue. I had intended on covering the second vision today, but the clock says I don't have time for that. You know, Matthew chapter 12 contains some very interesting teaching. If you've read through Matthew chapter 12, you know that that's where we get the idea about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, and every every well-natured believer has read that in Matthew chapter 12, and the thought has crossed their mind, have I ever done the unforgivable sin? And the good news is, if you ask yourself that question, the likelihood is it's pretty good that you've not done the unforgivable sin. If you're concerned about it, you're okay. But we get stuck there wondering, what could this possibly be, this unforgivable sin, this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? But we forget what comes next, and what comes next is actually actually maybe more piercing to the heart than our concerns about the unforgivable sin. In Matthew chapter 12, we find Jesus warning and critiquing the Pharisees. And in verse 34, speaking of snakes, he calls them a brood of vipers. He says, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Listen to that. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks speaks. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, brings forth evil. And this may be one of the scariest verses in the Bible for me. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. That's a scary verse when I think of how many empty words I've spent. Jesus goes on, he says, for by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you'll be condemned. Now we could spend a long time unpacking these verses. There's a lot of sermons here, but at face value, their significance is unmistakable. Men and women, if you want to know what's inside of a person's heart, listen to their words. Listen to to them speak. And then consider Jesus' caution here. 
about having to give an account for every careless word we speak. Let me ask you a question. What would it look like if we really believed that? Did you ever think about that? We obviously don't believe it because I hear a lot of careless words. And I use a lot of careless words. So it must not be a text that I really take seriously. But what if we lived our lives like we, like we really believed it, like we should, because we know it's true? What if we lived our lives paying attention to the words that we utter? I believe we'd probably watch our words more carefully. I believe we'd probably be alarmed if our words did not match the claim of our hearts, right? We claim to be a Christian, but when, when what comes out of our mouth on a regular, ongoing basis are, are not Christian things, that's an alarming thing. That's a, that, should, that should concern us. That should worry us. You know, if, if you turn on your water hose and sewage starts to come out of the water hose, you don't look at that water hose and say, well, that's interesting. You identify that there is a problem in the system. There is sewage coming out of my water hose. And you begin to look for the cause of why this is taking place. Somewhere the lines are crossed. And when we speak and we say we're Christians, this should be a stream of pure water and sewage is what comes out. That should concern us. Church, it should concern us when the inclination of our fingers is not encouragement and grace and love. It should, it should concern us when our first reaction out of our mouth is anger and hatred and rage and four-letter words. That should concern us because it is sewage coming out of something that is supposed to be pumping clean and pure. It should concern us. If you're a Christian today and you walk around with a filthy mouth spewing out a critical spirit, tearing down one another, spreading gossip and dissension, you should be concerned about your spiritual condition because those are things that are indicative of a non-regenerate heart. Now, I'm not saying you're not a Christian. But I am saying you got sewage coming out of a water pipe. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And as a spiritual physician... I can look at this and say the these are the symptoms of a nasty illness that you need to be treated for. I'm going to say that if we really believe Jesus, I think we'd be more inclined to use our words for building up, for blessing, for encouraging. I said earlier, everybody could use a pat on the back from time to time. Guess what? That's true. That's true. Sometimes physically... Sometimes just our words can be a pat on the back for somebody. And when our reaction is to always be full of hate and full of criticism and full of anger, there's something wrong. We're not watching over our words. And we're showing the world just how unlike our Lord we actually are. May we as God's people Take our words seriously and use them for his glory and for the good of his church and the good of his kingdom. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your faithfulness to your word. 
Thank you for taking your word as seriously as you do and challenging us to do likewise. Lord, I pray today that you will help us to watch over our words, that we would not use empty words and wasteful words and hurtful words, but God, that we would recognize that even when we have to use hard words, that that could be done for the good of people, to build one another up. Lord, there's some here today who, they need to hear the greatest word of all, that there is a Savior who loves them and who wants to be in relationship with them. I thank you for that good word, that good news that can change our lives and can take this heart of stone, this hard heart, and turn it into a heart of flesh. Lord, I think in my own life, I used to use four-letter words like they were the only vocabulary I knew. But God, you changed my heart. And the first way I knew that was the case is my speech changed. And Lord, we sometimes all mess up. But God, by your grace, change our hearts. Make us new. Help us to see our speech for what it is as a window for what's on the inside of us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand together and have a time of invitation. You're welcome to come and pray if you'd like to. Maybe there's just things in your seat you just need to confess to the Lord. Maybe you've seen a little bit of sewage coming out of a clean water pipe, and it's time to get that fixed today. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and you look at your speech, and what you see on the inside is a heart that is far away from God as it could be, and today you need to give your life to Jesus. You can come and make that known today, and I can help you walk through that decision. Let's stand together and sing, and you respond as the Lord leads. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us, much we need thy tender care. In thy pleasant pastures lead us, for our use thy folds prepare. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast bought us, thine we are. We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. Keep thy flock from sin, defend us, seek us when we go astray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear, oh, hear us when we pray. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, hear, oh, hear us when we pray. Thou hast promised to receive us, poor and sinful though we be. Thou hast mercy to relieve us, grace to cleanse and power to free. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, dearly let us turn to Thee. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, early let us turn to Thee. Early.
thy favor, early let us do thy will. Blessed Lord and only Savior, with thy love abiding still. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us, love us still. Blessed Jesus, blessed Jesus, thou hast loved us, love us still. It's been good to worship Jesus today.